You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. To be here. Yeah. Going extra slow. <laughs> All right. You good? Candy's still out. Perfect. This is probably on YouTube, and everybody's going to love the candy. Hey, there's candy, so come. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start. The title of my message today is A New Name. Now, the reason I chose this is because I very, very much relate to this. And by the time we get done with it, I hope you can see how significant a new name is. Um, you might be thinking, okay, well, I have the same name I've always had. But according to Jesus, you have a very different name. You have a name that you won't even know until we get to heaven. It is a new name. You are a new person when you are saved. And um, the foundation of the, the name Legacy and the reason we chose it is because when we get saved, God is going to do something very significant in our lives. He is now taking us, regardless of what our family history was, regardless of the situations that we came from, regardless of the baggage that we carry, the chains that are around us, we are no longer bound to that. We are a completely new creature we are a new legacy, and we move forward in Christ, firmly grounded in him, and that is a blessing that we, we should not overlook. So today, we are going to look at a new name, and I want you to turn in your Bibles to John, first chapter of John. We're going to be reading verses 35 through 42. And if you're not there in your Bible, you can follow along on the screen. It says, again the next day after John stood, this is John the Baptist and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say, being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? He saith unto them, Come and see. They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. In other words, ten in the morning. They spent the entire day with Jesus. And one of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful, those of us who have experienced this closeness with you, this time with you, the fact that we realize that you chose us and you died for us. Lord, you have done so much for us because of your love towards us, Lord, and we just, we pray, Lord, that you move in a mighty way tonight to reach each and every one of our hearts, and especially those who don't know you yet. 
Lord, to get this experience of, of being close to you, being seen by you, Lord, and through that being used by you. We pray, Lord, that we, we choose to follow you wholeheartedly, that we choose to embrace this new name that we have, this new blessing that we have in you, and I pray that we, we firmly stand on you. Lord, we love you and thank you for all that you do, and I, I pray again, Lord, that you speak through me and that I do these words justice. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to start by looking at Simon. This was his old name. This was the name that he was given at birth. This is what he identified with. And if you remember the apostle lessons that we covered in 2020, and maybe it even started in 2019, this was a name that occasionally Jesus would bring back up to rein his ego in. To shake him up and remind him, hey, you're being like a Simon right now. He didn't like that. Once he was renamed, he fully embraced and loved his new name. And he, he was the, the one that stepped out in front of all the, the disciples, took charge. Whether he should have kept quiet or not, he chose to do that. Because God was going to use him. So occasionally the, word, or the name Simon came up and, and that will hit you right to the core. It's like a mother using your middle name when you got in trouble. <laughs> it's not something you want to hear. You know, it's, you know that technically it's your name, but you hear that and you're like, oh, okay, uh, let me straighten up here. Andrew, his brother, brought Simon to Christ. That is very important. Andrew was the first one to evangelize. He spent the entire day from that morning with Jesus and his first response to go was to go run and find his brother. Andrew had the honor to be with Jesus. And then he had the honor to bring his brother to Jesus. That should be our first response. We're going to look a little bit at Andrew to start off with, but we're going to finish off with the significance of the new name. The first point I want to look at is, number one, Andrew's limited information. Andrew had a very basic understanding about who Christ was, but that didn't stop him from going to Simon. We have the excuse sometimes, well, I don't, I don't know how to talk to somebody about, about Jesus. I don't know how to, how to approach that person. It doesn't matter. Simon just spent the day with him, and he couldn't help but run and give what little information he had. He, he just said, I found him. <laughs> and that was enough. He found him. And Jesus and God already knew this was going to happen. He used that excitement in Andrew and that little bit of information to then draw Peter in. It was not an accident that Peter ended up in front of him that day. Letter A, he found him. Look at verse 41. He first findeth his own brother Simon. His finding implies him seeking him. He wanted, no matter what it took, to go pursue his brother. And I'm betting there is somebody in our life right now that we can think of that we love the same way that he loved his brother that we have not sought yet, that we have not run after to go say, hey, <laughs> there's some good news. Perhaps the other disciple that was with him went out to seek some friend at 
you know, of his at the same time, but Andrew was the first one. He was running. He very quickly ran to his brother Simon. He, it says he first findeth Simon, who came only... Now listen, Simon, he only came to hear John the Baptist. They were in the same area together. He came with the intent to hear John the Baptist, but his expectations were outdone when he, when he ended up meeting Jesus. He heard about John... And I'm sure Andrew had a little bit to say. Simon probably knew where Andrew was that day, listening and and hearing the preaching of John the Baptist that morning. But he came running, fully expecting to go see John the Baptist and hear Jesus is. Letter B, he, he told him who they found. We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. That's all he had to say. I found him. <laughs> And those words we're going to look at here in a little bit are very profound too. Letter I, he speaks humbly. He didn't, he didn't say, I have found him, assuming the honor of discovering Jesus all by himself. But no, he said, we found him. He shared the honor with all those around him. He, he was excited. We found him. It was a people. It was not... I did it. I have something to contribute here. No, we found the Messiah. We found our Savior. We found our King. We found the one who was promised to us many, many years ago that we've been hearing about and reading about. John the Baptist has been talking about, and boom, there he is, the Lamb of God. We found him. And he, he, he spoke exultingly and with triumph. We found that pearl of great price, that true treasure, and have have found it. He, he proclaimed it just like the lepers did in 2 Kings 7, 9 because he knew he has found, he knew who he found and because of that joy of fi- finding him, he was overflowing with it. He was so excited about who he spent the entire day with, realizing who he truly was. He was so excited and he was, he was triumphant in it. He was like, this is a big moment. We finally found him. We have nothing to worry about now. Our, our Savior is here. In 2 Kings 7, 9, the lepers said one to another, We do not well this day, or we, we, yeah, we do not well. This day is a day of good tidings, and we hold our peace. If we tarry till the morning light, some mischief will come upon us. Now therefore come that we may go and tell the king's household. The lepers got healed, and they, at that very moment, Realize they might not have until tomorrow to go share it with somebody. They might not have any more opportunities. Something could happen to them. They could die. They could get killed. And they won't have the opportunity to go share the good news about what God did in their lives. Andrew spent the day with Jesus. And he rushed to his brother. He loved him so much. He rushed to him and had to share the good news. He had to. Thirdly, he speaks intelligently. We found the Messiah, which was more than had yet been said about Jesus up until this point. John had said, he is the Lamb of God and the Son of God, which Andrew compared with the scriptures of the Old Testament. And comparing them together, he was able to conclude that he is the Messiah promised to the fathers. It didn't take long after hearing what was happening to put two and two together to realize this really was him. And now it was the time. It was that time that was promised in the Old Testament. 
and thus by making God's testimonies his meditation, as said in Psalm 119.99, he speaks more clearly concerning Christ than his teacher had to him. And I imagine that partly it was because he spent the entire day with him. (laughs) When we spend an entire day with Jesus, we have a lot to say. We have a lot to say. And our experience with him is not just boring and just spending a moment reading scripture and getting angry at the word. No, when you spend an entire day and you're praying with God and in fellowship with him and hearing from his word, man, it's powerful. Any moment I get to spend in my office studying is just exciting to me. And I get so little of it, but it's, to me, he's my best friend. He is the one I get to go spend a moment with whenever I get a chance to say, Lord, I'm here. What do you have for me? I want to know. I want to hear from you today. And then I get to go share it with somebody. I, get to, I spent more time in the last few days than, than I've had in a while because of all the stuff I've been busy doing. I don't neglect little moments with them, but I got to specifically spend more time and make it a priority to get this sermon ready. And that was the best few days I've had in a while because now I get to share the time I got to spend with him with you guys. It's amazing. Letter C, he brought him to Jesus. Andrew knew that he couldn't possibly convince Simon of who he found on his own. And and I'm sure that's some of our attitudes. There's no way I'm going to reach my dad. There's no way my best friend is going to understand what I'm talking about. But he brought him to the fountainhead, persuaded him to come to Christ, and introduced him to him. I don't know what, what level of convincing it took. It wasn't written there that it took much at all. He just came because it was his brother, but we need to plead with somebody that's unwilling to come. Just come in here. Just come. And I, don't, I won't have to say any more because the Holy Spirit is involved in this situation. He, he is the reason I came to you in the first place, and, and Lord willing, the Holy Spirit will convict that heart and bring them to the, to the place they need to hear what they need to hear to spend time in close proximity with Jesus. And when two or more are gathered There he is in the midst of them. It's powerful when you come to a place where Jesus is moving. So that's what he did. He brought him to Jesus. He said, come, you got to see for yourself who this is. This, the fact that he brought him, was firstly, it was an instance of love. An instance of true love to his brother, his own brother, because he, he was really, really dear to him. This was somebody he loved. And maybe he was the, the closest family member he had because and, and, they, they had moved to that area to be fishermen together as a team in, the, in a fishing business. But he loved him so much. He loved Simon so much that he was the first person he thought to share the good news with. There wasn't a girl somewhere that he wanted to go share it with. There wasn't... A best friend, no, it was his brother. It should be our first and most important concern to seek the spiritual welfare of those we love. If they're in our, in our circle, in our realm, in our life, then we have every responsibility at that point to very quickly, before it's too late, rush and tell them the good news and say, you got to come see. you got to come see. Their relation... To us, adds both an obligation and an opportunity 
to, good, to do good to them. We are obligated to do it, but it's an opportunity. We pray sometimes, Lord, give me an opportunity to share the good news. Well, have we truly used all the opportunities God's gave, given us? Have we reached our family yet? Our best friends yet? I'm willing to bet there's some names on the list that you need to check off. And don't do it just to check it off, but, but write it down and purposefully go and, and seek them out. Get rid of the fear. Do what Andrew did and just go. <laughs> because guess what? As we learned with Moses, God's entire might and power is right there with you to, to share the good news. That's what he wants us to do. If he told us to do it, he will enable us to do it. Him bringing Simon to Jesus was, secondly, it was a side effect of that day. It was an effect of his day's conversation with Jesus. Spending an entire day talking and learning and hearing and feeling the the love and presence of Jesus Christ was enough. The best evidence of our time spent with Jesus is our conversations outwards and afterwards. If we spent an entire day with Jesus, I bet we are going to talk to somebody about it. That's how you know sometimes how much time people are spending in the Word based on how much they're talking about it. If you watch football all the time, I'm sure that's what you're talking about all the time. If you're playing video games all the time, that's the next thing that comes up when you talk to your best friend. But if you're in the Word all the time, I'm guaranteeing something from that Word is coming out. You're consumed with it. You're excited about it. You want to share it. You want to show them what you found. Andrew had been with Jesus and was so full of him, he had been in the mount for his face. At that point, was probably shining with the excitement of being with the Savior of the world. He was with the Savior of the world, and he probably couldn't hide it, even if he wanted to, on his face. He was so excited. He knew there was enough in Christ for every single person he met. And having tasted that, he, that Jesus was gracious and loving, He couldn't rest until everybody he loved had a taste of that, too. He wanted them to share it and be a part of it. So I didn't want to skip over Andrew because that was a pivotal moment for Simon. Simon was used in a major way by God. And Jesus used Andrew to bring him to him. We don't know who we're going to affect that God's going to use in a mighty way. We might think our ministries might be worth nothing or, our, or what we do in our daily walk, even if we're not part of a ministry, is nothing. But the moment we share with the one person God wanted us so much to share with, he could save millions through that one person. We have no idea. So we need to have the same responsibility and the same heart and the same excitement and same attitude as Andrew. Find our Simon and bring him. So let's look at Peter. I want to first introduce Peter. Simon Peter is one of Jesus' first disciples and later becomes a spokesman of the twelve. Although Jesus gives Simon the name Peter, which is rock, Petros, his ability to live up to it is often in doubt in the Gospels, which makes what Jesus did even more amazing. He didn't always live up to what God called him. But that makes it even more amazing. Because if we look through his track record, we see the full picture of what God did through him, and it's beautiful. Letter A, Peter's rebuke 
of the Lord. Matthew 16, 22 through 23. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this, is, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. The one I look up to, if I heard him call me Satan, I would be shaken. <laughs> I would be shaken by it. I'd be like, excuse me? Like, all I did, I wanted to stop you from getting crucified. Peter didn't hold back when he had things to say, and, and sometimes Jesus would, would be pretty harsh. And in this instance, he calls him Satan. Knowing full well that it wasn't his words that were coming out, it was Satan trying to deter God from doing what was planned. Letter B, his falling asleep in the garden. Now, if you have a responsibility, if you're a leader, you, you don't fall asleep on the job. It's not something you do. Mark fourteen thirty seven, And he cometh and findeth them sleeping, and saith unto Peter, Simon, Peter, Simon, sleepest thou? Couldst not thou watch one hour? Jesus was disappointed that he fell asleep. Let her see his attacks on Malchus. Later in the Garden of Gethsemane, in John 18, 10 through 11, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? This was God's plan. Should I not do what God planned for me? These are moments when he was rebuked. These are moments he was not living up to the name that he was given. Letter D, his denial of Jesus. This is a big one. John 18, 15 through 27, And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. That disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door without. Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest, and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. Then saith the damsel that kept the door unto Peter, Art thou... Also one of this man's disciples, he saith, I am not. He wasn't even willing to admit he was. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whither the Jews always resort. And in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And then, and when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas the high priest, and Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. He was standing by, warming himself while this was all going down. They said, therefore, unto him, Art not thou one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied him again, and immediately the cock crew. That's not a, that's not a firm person. That's not a rock that's a, f- a flimsy piece of dirty lint rolling around, <laughs> afraid to, to be under the heat of the situation. No, he was not being Peter in this moment. 
Despite all of this, though, Jesus' reinstatement of Peter in John 21, 15-7, where he said, Do you love me? Then he said, Feed my sheep. It, this communicates his confidence in and selection of Peter as the head of the early church. Regardless of all that just happened, regardless of all the times he disappointed God, he still chose him. That means something. Now let's look at number two, the ministry of Peter. Luke demonstrates this in the book of Acts, which portrays Peter as, letter A, a bold proclaimer of the gospel. Acts 2, 14 through 41 says this very clearly. It shows examples of him being a proclaimer of the gospel. Be a miracle worker. Read the book of Acts and you're going to see all of his works. I, I didn't want to put that in for the, time of, for the sake of time tonight. Acts 3, 1 through 11 shows that, a miracle worker. Letter C, an authoritative figure in the early church. He was a major pivotal player in the early church. Letter D, the first missionary to the Gentiles. He was the first one to reach them. Acts 10, 1 through 45. Letter E, he was a missionary to the Jews outside of Jerusalem in Acts 12, 17. So he, even though he did all those things, was still chosen by God and sent out and, made, and had a huge impact in the world. I wanted to give you that introduction because what's about to happen, this moment he meets Jesus, says a lot knowing what happened afterwards. So number three, Simon was beheld. When Andrew brought Simon to Jesus, he was seen by Jesus. Look at verse 42, and he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. In the Greek, beheld means to look on, to observe fixedly, to discern clearly, behold, gaze upon, look upon, and to see. He saw Peter. He could see right into who he was, into his very soul. He saw all of his past. He saw his family, his history, and his future. He knew everything about Peter the moment he looked at him. He didn't just see him the way you see a car drive by. He saw Peter. He knew full well who Simon would become and the purpose he had for him. He even knew that he would be disappointed by him. So letter A, Christ called him by his name. When Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. You would think, and I'm confident so did Simon at this point, that he was a complete stranger to Christ. So it's really interesting when he calls you by your name and tells you who you're the son of if you've never met this man before. And because of that, we can see very clearly in this verse two, two things. Christ's omniscience. It was proof of Christ's all-knowing power that from the moment Jesus saw Simon, without any inquiry, without any questions or, or, or detective work whatsoever, he could tell the name both of him and his father. 2 Timothy 2.19 says, Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal, the Lord knoweth them that are his. He knows. 
all that are his. Let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. The Lord knows them that are his and their entire case. In other words, everything they did wrong, everything that's being held against them, all the good they did, he knows every single detail. And when he, when he wiped our slate clean and now we go to be judged, man, is it awesome that he knew us. <laughs> that he's there in that courtroom fighting for us. We don't walk up to Jesus as, his, as a saved person without him knowing everything about us. But especially it's so sweet when we don't know Jesus yet, when we aren't saved yet. If you're sitting in there in your pew right now or your seat, knowing full well you're not saved yet, and saying, well, there's no way he could possibly understand what I've been through or what I'm going through or who, who I am or what my family is or the abuse I've, I've endured. You, you don't know. Jesus can't possibly understand. Let me tell you, he fully understands. He knows you. He sees you. And when you walk to him to come meet him at the altar, man, he is beholding you, seeing very clearly into who you are, ready to, to give you that gift of salvation. The second thing here is Simon's lack of reputation. This was a moment of, of Jesus' condescending grace and favor that he freely called him by his name, even though Simon was Vermulius Nominus, which means a man of no name. Simon was not a well-known person. He, was, he didn't have a reputation in that town. He was not the brightest, most educated, the elite of the elite. He did not own villas or, or an entire fleet of ships. No, he was just a single fisherman with a brother. He was a man of no reputation, and yet Jesus knew him. He knew him by name. This was an instance of God's favor to Moses as well, that he knew him by name. In Exodus thirty-three seventeen, And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. God knew Moses by name. Well, guess what? He knows every single hair on our heads. He knows our name, too. If you're not saved yet, he knows your name, and he's waiting for you. He's eagerly waiting for you. God knows who we are and chooses us anyway. That's the sweetest part. He knows us personally, and he chooses us anyway. He knows our faults and chooses us anyway. There's nothing that he doesn't know that we think we've hidden that he chooses us anyway and chooses to use us despite our name. And there's significance in these names. Simon means obedient. And Jonah, his father, means a dove. An obedient dove-like spirit qualifies us to be disciples of Christ. But he was also imperfect. He had nothing to offer, and God still chose to use him anyway. And letter B, he gives him a new name. Cephas. Letter I, we see Christ's favor here by choosing that name. A new name here denotes great dignity. Revelation 2.17, it says, He that hath an ear, let him hear 
what the Spirit saith unto the churches, to him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. Every single one of us gets a new name. It doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter the legacy that we have have been born with, the reputation that people understand when they hear our last name or, or maybe even our first name. It doesn't matter our friend circles. It doesn't matter our jobs. We get a new name. We get a clean slate. We get to walk forward chosen by God specifically with a new name and a new purpose. Isaiah 62, 2, And the Gentiles shall see thy righteousness, and all kings thy glory, and thou shalt be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord shall name. By this right here, Christ not only wiped off the reproach of his mean and obscure parentage, his family name, Jesus wiped it clean by giving him a new name, but he adopted him at the same time into his family as his own. He chose to give him a new name and pull him into the family. Now he is a man of reputation. (laughs) We are co-heirs with Christ. We get to partake in every blessing that Christ has given to him. We are now part of a royal family in heaven. (laughs) Like we went from the pit to the from the worst of the worst to now being a brother of Christ. That is a name worth holding on to, a name worth having, a name to, to shout in the street saying, I am now part of this family. You may think I'm still so-and-so, but no, I am now a part of Christ. That's a name worth having, a new name by Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. We are now brand new. The second thing here that we see is Peter's faithfulness. The name which he gave him, it speaks of his faithfulness to Christ. Look at verse 42 again. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, saw into his soul, saw his past and his future, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. Thou shalt be called Cephas. Peter's natural temper was stiff and hardy and resolute, which I take to be the main reason why Jesus called him Cephas, or a stone. He also later says that you will be a cornerstone that I'll build my church on. When Christ prayed for Peter later that his faith might not fail, Jesus did not, or did that, so he might be grounded in Christ himself. And at the same time, he asked him to strengthen his brethren and lay out himself for the support of others. Did you know that Jesus, when, when he brings you into the family, he's praying for you very specifically? He wants you to be firm in him. He wants you to be strong. He wants you to share your friendship and your, and your relationship and your name with those that you love, your brethren, those that are around you. And it's by his grace that they are Solid and steadfast. It's because of him that we have our strength, our steadiness. When we're firmly planted on him, who, by the way, is also a stone, then we're not shakable anymore. 
You spend time with your best friend in the Word and in prayer, nothing can shake you. We are not capable of standing on our own strength, but by the power of Jesus Christ. So Simon's interview with Jesus in this one little verse changed his life. And at that moment, it also gave him a new name, Peter, a rock. It took a great deal of work for Jesus to transform weak Simon into a rock, but he did it. It may not feel like at the moment you get saved, it may not seem like God really has a purpose for you. You may not even know what the name is yet for you, but you have a name. He knows it. He has a purpose for you. And he is taking the time that he knows is necessary to shape you into that person that he named you to be. And truly, he gives us the power to become. And first, or yeah, in verse 12 of, of John, chapter 1, it says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I read this illustration. And I, I so much wanted to share it. It says Jerry Kramer play, played pro football for the Green Bay Packers under legendary coach Vince Lombardi. One day at practice during Kramer's first year, Lombardi ragged the rookie unmercifully, criticizing every move he made. By the end of practice, Kramer was ready to quit. But afterward, Coach Lombardi approached Kramer, messed up his hair, and said, Son, one of, the, one of these days, you're going to be the greatest guard in the league. Kramer said he suddenly felt 10 feet tall. When Jesus of Nazareth first met Simon of Bethsaida, the first thing he said to the young fisherman was, you are going to become a rock. The literal translation of you shall be called Cephas. Through all of Peter's missteps and all of his failures as a disciple, Perhaps that very statement was that seed thought that kept him going until he became the first to make known the gospel to both the Jews and the Gentiles. It's so amazing that God sees each of us in the light of what we will become, not who we were. It does not matter what we come from because he uses those that are the most unlikely to do the greatest things. When he gives you a new name, it is valuable, it is important, and it is with a purpose. It is already written in stone. It is not going to change. There's nothing we can do to separate ourselves from the love of God. Everything that we have to offer is nothing, but he gives us everything. And he trains us and encourages us. And guess what? When you spend time away from your best friend for a while, you get discouraged, you get afraid, you get lonely. You start thinking these things about yourself that maybe you shouldn't be thinking. And the moment you go back to your friend and he reminds you of who you are and, and gives you some encouraging words, guess what happens? You walk away 10 feet tall, ready to conquer the world again. Well, that's Jesus. He is the one that we should spend our day with. He's the one we should run to and say, Lord, Remind me again who you said I was because I'm not feeling it today. Man, I'm feeling discouraged. I don't, I don't understand how I'm going to get through the day. I don't know how I'm going to get through this week. Or, Lord, I, I'm struggling right now, but, man, I need some encouragement. I need my best friend right now. 
I need you to remind me, what, what is my name again? What, what did you call me? What, how, show me again why you said that. What's your purpose in my life, Lord? He promised to conform us to the image of his own. It takes time. Romans 8.29 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So the next time you look in a mirror, look beyond what you see and try to picture what God sees. The person he saved you to become. And if you don't know him tonight, man, is tonight the night. He's here. <laughs> I don't know if you, if you felt it or not, but I've definitely felt his presence tonight, and I'm excited because he promised when two or more are gathered, he's here. So whether we feel it or not, he's here, but I've already felt it. And I'm excited because, man, he wants to reach you today. He wants to do something with you today. Wipe that slate clean. Take those chains off your back. Take the rocks out of that rucksack you've been carrying and, and just take it all off and carry that weight for you and throw it into a furnace and burn it off because it doesn't matter anymore. You're new. You are a new creature. You are in the royal family. He's going to dress you in robes and, and you're going to walk with your best friend. So if you've been hesitant, tonight's the night. Come to the altar and, and get it taken care of. And if you need somebody to pray with you, there are people here that can pray with you. Ryan, Nathan, Chad, Melanie, just to name a few. If you don't know him, come. It, you don't know if you have tomorrow. I'm being Andrew today, and I'm saying, hey, guess what we found? We found him. We found the one, the answer to our question. The one that's going to save us. The one that's going to give us our strength. The one that's going to help us endure. The one that's going to be our leader. The one that's going to rid us of all the... the the ridiculousness in this world, the pain that we endure constantly, he's the one that's going to wipe it away and establish his kingdom. He's the Savior. He's the one that died for us. Come and see him. That's what he wants for us tonight. So let's, let's stand as we pray and come to the altar. And if you are his best friend, just come and say, Lord, I'm so excited that you're my best friend and that I get to be part of this family. But also,